and he is the only one that can turn graves into gardens. If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 here in a few minutes. And last week I talked about the qualifications of deacons, and this morning I'm going to talk about the biblical responsibilities of deacons. Uh, but before I get into the message, I just want to say for Bill and for myself and Linda, thank you so much for the way you appreciated us last week, the cards, the gifts, the words of encouragement. It's great to be part of a church who appreciates their staff. And I'm so thankful that Red House Baptist Church appreciates their staff that they have. And it is an honor and a privilege and a joy to serve here at Red House Baptist Church. So thank you for the appreciation you showed us uh, last week. And don't stop showing appreciation. <laughs> uh, in your bulletin, you'll notice again you have a nomination form for deacons. It's a little bit different than last week. We've actually added a, a QR code this week. So if you scan that QR code, it will take you to the same form that's inside your bulletin. And on the back, you also notice something else. I had several questions last week. Others had several questions last week. Who is a deacon? Who's not a deacon in our church? That's a great question because we don't want you to nominate someone who's already a deacon. So on the back of your insert... There is a list of active and inactive deacons who are part of the body of Christ. Now, inactive doesn't mean they were removed from deacon leadership. Inactive simply means they are not serving at this time. Uh, so you have a list there of men who are active and inactive in our church to help you as you go through this nomination process. And I, you can nominate more than one man to be a deacon. We just ask that you use a different form for each nomination. And we'll take these nominations through Sunday, November the 13th. And once you fill out that form, if you do it online, it will go where it needs to go. But if you fill out uh, the paper nomination form, there is a basket at the Family Life Center uh, table that you can drop your nomination form in. But before you nominate someone, as I said last week, you need to understand who qualifies to be a deacon. And you need to understand what a deacon should do. And there are three pre-qualifiers before you get into the qualifications and responsibilities of a deacon. First, a deacon must be man. A deacon must be a follower of Jesus Christ. And a deacon must be a member of Red House Baptist Church. And let me just say an active member of Red House Baptist Church. In order to nominate a man to be a deacon, then you have to be a member as well. That's why we ask you to sign the bottom of the nomination form so we can ensure that, that you are a member of our church who's nominating that man that you've chosen to be a deacon. And once the nominations are in, the deacons and myself will pray over the names submitted, make sure the names submitted are qualified based on Scripture, and then we'll approach those men that we believe feel called to be a deacon. And if those men feel called as well, They'll be interviewed by a subcommittee of deacons. And then those men whom the deacon body believe meet the qualifications and who can fulfill the responsibilities will be brought before the church at a later business meeting to make it official. And if once a man is elected to be a deacon, if he has not been ordained, he will be ordained to show that God and the church has set this man apart to do deacon ministry. So that's how the deacon nomination process works here at Red House. 
And last week, I went over the qualifications of deacons from 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And I'll briefly recap the qualifications. They must be of good reputation, meaning they must be worthy of respect. They're not to be hypocritical. They're not to drink a lot of wine and really abstain from alcohol. They're not to be greedy for money or pursue dishonest gain. They are to uphold the message of salvation. They are to be men of great faith. They must be competent in family relations. They must be sexually pure and be a one-woman man. And as I mentioned last week, marital status does not disqualify a man from being a deacon. A man can be single and even divorced under certain circumstances, and those were three circumstances. If the divorce happened before he became a believer, if he married an unbeliever as a believer and the unbelieving spouse left and he's continued to live a life of faithfulness and service to the Lord. And then the issue of adultery. If the marriage was, was broken up because of adultery on the spouse's behalf, that's also grounds for a biblical divorce. But it also said that in order for a man to be a deacon who's been divorced, there needs to be a pattern of service to his family, faithfulness to his family, and to the Lord and to the church. And if a, if a man is married, he must have a godly wife, and he must manage his home and his children well. And then he must pass an examination, not a written test, but a life test. He must have a proven track record of faithful service to the Lord and in the church in which he is a member of. And there must be nothing in his life that would disqualify him from serving. A man you nominate should love God, desire to be like God, follow God, and lead others to do the same. So this morning, I'm going to talk about what a deacon does. I think it's important for us to understand the biblical responsibilities of a deacon. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning for a few minutes. So let's read Acts 6 and read verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days, as the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The first thing I want to point out this morning is that deacons are scriptural. Deacons are clearly stated in the New Testament. The office of deacon, the position of deacon is not a tradition. It's not something that was devised by man. It's something that God instituted. And the first church in Jerusalem in which this is taking place, the Jews were convinced that the death of Christ would settle all their problems. They thought after the death of Christ that the Jews would disband. But there was one thing they were not counting on. They failed to account for the resurrection of Jesus. 
And after Jesus rose from the dead, and we get to Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, which means 50 days after he rose from the dead, we get into the coming of the Holy Spirit. We get into the power of God and the growth of the church. And even through persecution, the church flourished and the church was growing. We read about how James was martyred and Peter and John were jailed and released. How the disciples prayed for boldness. How their witness increased as Peter was rested again and sentenced to death. And he was delivered while the church was praying for his deliverance. And what's ironic is these storms outside of the church, the storms that the church were facing through persecution, it did not damage the church. In fact, it had just the opposite effect. The persecution of the church flamed the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it spread, spread like wildfire. You see, persecution didn't destroy the church. It actually grew the church. But what was about to destroy the church if they didn't take care of the matter at hand? It was the storm that was brewing inside the church. There was a storm brewing that was about to do great harm to the church, that was about to destroy its witness. And what was happening, it was the issue of taking care of orphans and widows. It was the issue of taking care of of the needy we read the church was growing so fast that the 12 disciples could not keep up with the ministry of the church and the preaching of God's Word and this was a great problem to have they were growing so fast they couldn't minister to the needs of all the people that were among them but here's the thing this problem needed to be resolved this problem needed to be taken care of because it was taking away from the preaching and the teaching of the gospel because they were spending so much time doing ministry that they didn't have the time that they once had to preach the Bible. And then the Hellenistic Jews, we are told. These were Jews who were scattered among the Greeks and the Gentiles at one time, and now they were coming back to Jerusalem, and they were considered outsiders. They were complaining that the Hebrew widows were getting more attention and more help than their own widows, and they felt like that they were being overlooked. And in verses 2 and 3, we see that the 12 disciples, led by the Holy Spirit, came to a solution. Scripture says they selected seven men who were of good reputation, seven men who were full of the Holy Spirit, Seven men who were full of wisdom and who were devoted to God and were following to God. And in verse 6, it says that the church set them apart, that they laid hands on them, which means they basically ordained these men for ministry. And what assignment did they give them? Did they put them in charge in preaching of the word? Did they put them in charge of praying? Did they put them in charge of teaching? No. They put them in charge of serving the widows. They were in charge of the distribution of the food to make sure that all the needs of the widows were met and that no one was overlooked. And the 12 said in verses 2 and 4, they said, we don't have time to meet all the needs and widows and also focus on prayer and preaching. They were saying, we need help. And the preaching of the word and the ministry of the word are both important in the life of a church. If a church is just based on preaching, the church isn't going to reach people. If the church is just based on ministry, 
and not preaching, the people aren't going to learn about God and the Word of God. We need to learn the Word of God, and we need to live out the Word of God. And there is so much to do to meet the needs of people. There's so much to do in preaching and teaching that a pastor and a staff can't do it alone. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. It literally means, as I said last week, to wait on tables. It also means through the dirt. It means that deacons are to be servants. They are to be willing to do what is necessary to get their hands dirty in order to serve others. And this is the beginning of the deacon ministry in the New Testament. And further scriptural evidence that that the office of deacon is scriptural is in Philippians 1.1. It says, Paul and Timothy, slaves or servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. A deacon is a biblical position. It was instituted by God to further the ministry of the church and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by meeting the needs of those inside the church and churches need godly men churches need men who are filled with the spirit who are guided by the spirit to help the ministers of the church with the ministry of the church the second thing i want to point out is not only are deacon scriptural but they are to share in the ministry of the church these seven men were chosen so they might free the 12 disciples the 12 apostles and allow them to focus on prayer and the preaching of God's Word. Deacons are spiritual leaders who are to be in partnership with the pastor for the purpose of carrying out the ministry of the church. Deacons are to be an extension of the pastor and staff to assist the pastor and staff in meeting the needs of the congregation. For what purpose? For the same purpose that's mentioned here. So the pastors can focus on prayer and preaching. And we need to understand it's just not the pastor's responsibility to take care of the people of the church. It's just not the staff's responsibility to meet the needs of the congregation. Everyone within the church should have the desire to meet the needs of the people inside of the church and outside of the church. And this is not something that a pastor or staff can accomplish by themselves. That's why it's necessary for churches to have men who can assist the pastors and the staff in doing what needs to be done. We need men who are willing to get their hands dirty. And as I said last week, we have a great group of deacons here at Red House Baptist Church. Our deacons help with baptisms. Our deacons help with the Lord's Supper in which we're taking today. They help with events. They help with hospital visits and ministry visits. They help with the, the benevolent needs inside the church. And they serve on different committees inside the church like personnel and stewardship. You know what the deacons do? They help take care of the members of the body of Christ. They oversee the welfare of the church body. And deacons are to help minister to the church's physical needs so the pastors and staff can take care of the spiritual needs. And this does not mean that the pastor and staff is not involved in ministry. It simply means that, that a pastor has men that he can depend on, men that he can count on and trust to take care of needs when they arise. You know, it's great to be able to pick up the phone or send a text or send an email to one of our deacons and say, hey, can you take care of this for me? 
And most of the time, they have no problem taking care of the need that arises. And it frees me up and it frees our staff up to focus on so many other things that need to be done as well. And by the way, a pastor should never ask a deacon or anyone else to do something that he himself is not willing to do. Pastors and deacons are to be servant leaders. We are to serve and we are also to lead others to serve. We are to lead by example. And I am a firm believer that deacons, first and foremost, they're to be servants of the church. They're to be burdened and concerned about the ministry of the church and the mission of the church and the members of the church. The third thing I want to share is deacons are to promote church unity. These seven men, they protected and they promoted the unity of the church. These men needed to restore fellowship in the church. They needed to remove the rift that was occurring between these two groups of widows. And if they had not taken care of the problem, if they had not come to a solution, it would have damaged their witness. It would have damaged their mission. And they would have stopped growing because I promise you that rift would have become bigger, that division would have become wider, and it would have gotten to a point there where they could not have gotten control of it. They, as Barney, Barney Fife would say, they nipped it in the bud. They took care of the issue for what reason? So the church could continue to focus on what God called them to do, which was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? So the church could continue to grow. But unfortunately, today in many churches, this is not how deacons tend to operate. Sometimes, I hate to say it, but division in the church is deacon-led. And I'm thankful that's not the case here at Red House Baptist Church. Because why is division sometimes deacon-led? Because sometimes deacons lose focus of their responsibility. And they see themselves as a governing body, as a board rather than a serving body. And why do they say that at the end of verse 3? In chapter 6, Luke uses the word the duty or the business. And some interpret this to mean that the role of deacons is to oversee the business of the church. But in this context, Luke is in no way referring to the business of the church, but he is referring to the duty of needs being met. And that the widows needed to be taken care of. That was the, that was the business that, that the church wanted the deacons to take care of. Other times, deacons may ignore the conflict that has taken place. Other times, they may want to, to not deal with it and may hope it goes away. I promise you, these were two groups of women that weren't happy. There is no way this was going away. This was going to snowball into something that these men, that these 12 disciples were no in no position to take care of. That's why it was so important to ask God for a solution. And they chose seven men, it says, who were full of faith and wisdom. They needed wisdom in how to deal with this problem. They needed wisdom in how to deal with this conflict. And when conflict happens in a church, pastors and deacons aren't to run away from the conflict. We're to hit the conflict head on to keep the damage from destroying what we're trying to do. 
And that's exactly what happened here in the first church in Jerusalem. You see, when a man is called by God and elected by the church to be a deacon, he's saying to the church, I'm going to be a uniter and not a divider. And in no way should he seek to divide the church. But he should always seek to unite the church and resolve conflicts and be a peacemaker. A deacon should help solve problems and not cause them or ignore them. And as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, deacons should always carry a bucket of water and not gasoline. They're to put out the fires and not start them or flame them. And not only must he be one who seeks to unite the church, he must seek to protect the fellowship of the church. You see, when divisive issue comes to the forefront, deacons must rise up and proclaim that if we are to honor Christ, we must do what we need to do in order to maintain harmony and peace. Now, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to offer a different opinion. No church is perfect, and we're not all going to agree. But we need to be able to walk away agreeing to disagree and agreeing to maintain peace and to maintain unity and to go along with the decision and not grumble and complain and stir up divisiveness. And I believe a big part of promoting church unity, a big part of harmony is supporting the pastor and staff and the programs of a church. A church needs deacons who are going to support and encourage and pray for the pastor and staff and the ministries and programs and activity of the church and support the vision of the church and be involved in the mission and the ministry of the church. And if deacons aren't willing to pray for the church, if deacons aren't willing to be involved in the ministry and ministry of the church, if deacons aren't going to support the vision of the church, how can we ask the members of the church to do the same thing? That's why it's so important for deacons to promote church unity. And deacons who talk negatively about the pastors or other leaders in the church and put down ministries of the church, they're only going to cause a church to become fractured. They're only going to cause a church to become ineffective. And it is clear if the spiritual leaders of the church are at odds with one another, so will the church body be at odds with one another. And if a church, therefore, is going to be united and effective in her purpose, she must have pastors and deacons who are of one heart and one mind and one voice, and that is God's heart and God's mind and God's voice. And personal agendas must be abandoned and God's agenda must be promoted. And in addition to promoting and maintaining the unity of fellowship of the church, deacons are to help maintain the spiritual and theological unity of the church. Along with the pastors and staff, they are to be the spiritual gatekeepers of the church. Deacons are to make sure that God's word is not twisted, that God's word is not distorted, that God's word is not compromised in any area in the life of the church. And they are to hold to and teach correctly the doctrines of the faith. There are so many churches today who are twisting God's word. There are so many churches today who are distorting God's Word. There are so many churches today who are compromising God's Word. Why? To fit their own agenda and their beliefs and to justify their actions. And my prayer is that Red House Baptist Church would never be a church that distorts or compromises or twists the Word of God. 
And we need men to stand up who are willing to defend the gospel and not distort it. And that's why it's so important for the men that you nominate to be devoted to God, to be students of His Word, to know His Word, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to uphold the message of salvation. The fourth thing I want to share is deacons are to enhance the overall effectiveness of the mission of the church. Deacons are to enhance the overall effectiveness of the mission of the church. Verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. Look what it says. After they ordained them and set them apart, it says, So the preaching about God flourished. They got back to doing what they were doing. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, deacons should advance the cause of evangelism. Deacons should make disciples. How? By loving God and loving others. That is the two greatest commandments in Scripture. And it is evident that that is happening in the life of the church in Jerusalem right here. They're loving God and they're loving others. How are they loving God? They're preaching His Word. They're teaching His Word. How are they loving others? By meeting their needs and showing them the love of God. And the great, what are the two greatest commandments? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. But then he said, there's another one. The second one is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. What are these deacons doing? What are these church leaders doing? They're showing love to God and they're showing love to others. And what's happening? The church is once again flourishing. And again, if deacons and pastors don't love God, if deacons and pastors don't love others, how can the members of the church be expected to love God and love others as well? That's why it's so important for the spiritual leadership of the church to lead by example and the immediate impact of the institution of the office of deacon was to deal with and to eliminate the controversy that was happening in the church and by eliminating the controversy by taking care of all the widows the church could now get back on track and fulfill her purpose and fulfill her mission which is exactly what happened what do we read in verse 7 the preaching of God flourished and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Why did the church experience such incredible growth? Because the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, they were no longer distracted by the controversy. They could go back to what they were supposed to do, and that was focusing on the preaching and the teaching of God's Word and praying for the church. And if there is conflict in a church, if it is not dealt with promptly and biblically, it will keep a church from focusing and accomplishing her mission. And notice what else happened. That last phrase in verse 7, a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. What is that referring to? That's referring to the Sanhedrin. That was the governed body of the Jews that were composed of priests and elders and scribes. So that was the group that had arrested Jesus. That's the group that had crucified Jesus. 
That's the group in Acts 4, 13 to 22 that had Peter and John arrested and brought before them for preaching the gospel and they told them not to do it again. In Acts 5, 17, look, this is the same group that did this in Acts 5, 17. It says the high priest took action. He and all his colleagues who belonged to the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Why were they filled with jealousy? Because people were following Jesus. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the city jail. They arrested all the apostles and put them in jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to preach. These men were arrested for preaching the gospel. But an angel came and they escaped. And what did they do? They continued to go back to the temple complex and preach about Jesus. And look what happened. Many of these priests who persecuted the church have now become part of the church. That can only happen because of the power of Jesus Christ. In Acts 6, many of these who persecuted Jesus and his disciples... They are now turning to Jesus. They're giving their lives to Jesus. And they are now becoming His disciples. And you know what? This would not have happened if the church would have continued to be distracted by the controversy of the widows. If the, if the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, had to continue to focus on the controversy at hand and had no help in resolving it, I don't believe verse 7 would have ever happened. I don't believe the church would have, been, have gotten back to flourishing like they were. I don't believe that a large number of priests who, who were persecuting Christians or now professing Christ would have become obedient to the faith. That all happened because God had instituted the service and the position of deacons. You see, I believe this church grew for another reason. Not only because they were able to get back what they were doing, which was preaching the gospel, but I believe this church grew because they were seen as a church who cared about people. They were seen as a church who desired to meet needs. They were seen as a church who just didn't recognize a problem, but they were willing to do something about it. And I don't think that's any different today. I believe churches grow when people feel loved, when people feel accepted, when people feel connected. And people want to be in a place where people not only say they care, but people show they care. And how can pastors and deacons expect people to care about others, to minister others, if they're not doing it themselves? And if a church is to grow and to become vibrant and effective and to fulfill her mission, it begins with the leadership of the church. It begins with the pastors and the staff and the deacons. And when a church has pastors and deacons who are aligned with God's will for his own life and the life of the church, the overall effectiveness of the ministry and the mission of the church will be strengthened. And this will create a spiritual environment that people want to be a part of, where lives can be changed and lives can be transformed, which will lead to both spiritual and numerical growth and will create a church that is on mission for God and is on mission with God. You see, deacons are necessary in the life of a church. The primary responsibility of a deacon is to be a servant. 
And not just to be servants. But deacons are to lead others in the church to serve as well. And because God established the office of deacon within the church, this is not a position to be taken lightly. With this position comes great responsibility as we've seen that deacons share in the ministry of the church. Deacons are to promote unity within the church. Deacons are to care for members of the church. And they're to enhance the overall effectiveness of the mission of the church. And even though it is a great responsibility, it's not easy doing these things. It's not easy taking conflict head on. Some people are difficult to minister to. Not you, but some people are. You know, I heard a pastor one, say, one time say the ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. I don't feel that, but, well, maybe some days, but not most days. But you know what? The church is about people. The church isn't about the pastor. It's not about the staff. The church is about people. And people want to be a part of a church where they feel cared for, where they feel loved, where people know who they are, people who are willing to meet their needs. They want to be part of a church that is following the teaching of God's Word. They want to be part of a church where God's Word is not twisted or distorted or compromised. They want to be part of a church where there is spiritual unity and great fellowship. And that's my desire for our church. But if we're going to accomplish that, we need men and women in positions that can help us accomplish that as well. So I want to encourage you to, to sincerely pray for men that God may lay on your heart to nominate, to potentially become a deacon of our church. And pray for our church as we go through this process. We want God to put the men in place that he wants to put in place to become part of our deacon body. And make sure the men who you nominate Meet both the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 and the responsibilities I've mentioned today. And if you are nominated and asked to be a deacon, I want to encourage you to pray about it. And not just say yes immediately, but pray about it. Ask God's direction in making that decision. And make sure you know what you are committing to. Make sure you understand the qualifications. Make sure you understand the responsibilities. Make sure you understand it's not easy. And even though it's not easy, it is a great privilege to serve the Lord in this way. And my prayer for our church is that God would continue to bless us with godly deacons who love the Lord and love people and who have a heart for ministry. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you for this time that we've had in your word. And God, I just thank you that in your word you clearly show us what the qualifications of a deacon are. Father, in your word you clearly show us what the responsibilities a deacon has. And Father, I thank you for this first church in Jerusalem, God, how, how you led them and guided them to nominate godly men, men who were full of faith and wisdom and of good reputation who would be able to help solve the problem and the controversy that was happening in the church between these widows. And God, I just thank you that these men were appointed, they were ordained, they were set apart to accomplish and to resolve this conflict. And 
Father, I just thank you that because the disciples were able to focus on the preaching and teaching of your word and that these deacons who they set apart were able to focus on the ministry of the church, that your church flourished. God, we saw many come to know Christ as your word says. And not just those who were in the community, but we see, Lord, the Sadducees. We see high priests coming to know you those who were persecuted you and had you arrested and crucified and who were against the disciples and what they were doing in proclaiming the gospel. We see how through the ministry of this church, God, that you changed their lives as well. And they confessed Christ and became obedient to the faith. Father, as we go through this process of nominating men to be deacons in our church, May we not take this process lightly. God, may we take it seriously. May we pray about the men that you would lay on our heart, God, to nominate for this position. And Father, for men who may be nominated, God, even now, be preparing them, Father. And God, I pray if it's your will, they would answer the call to become a deacon. And Father, we... I thank you for us as a church and the deacons we have and pray that you would continue to bless us with godly men who love you and who love your church. God, just be with our church. Be with us this morning as we go into this time of imitation. And Father, we thank you that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus gave his life for us so we could have life. Father, this morning, if there's one here who's not given their life to you, I pray today they would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Like these priests did, like these people in the community did, because they saw the love and the care and the concern of the first church. And Father, for those of us who know you, God, the qualifications we talked about last week, the responsibilities we talked about today aren't just for deacons and pastors. God, you desire for all believers to uphold the Lord, the integrity of your word. Lord, you desire for all those who know you, God, to share in the ministry of the church. God, you desire all those who know you, Father, to uphold the unity in the church. Father, I pray if there's maybe an area in our lives that we're lacking, maybe we're not serving you like we should. God, maybe we're not living for you like we should. Father, I pray today that we would get those things right. God, we love you, we praise you, we just thank you for your time today in your word. And use your word to speak to our hearts. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and never given your life to Christ, I will invite you to give your life to him this morning by simply putting your faith and trust in him. And if you have given your life to him, are you loving him the way you should? Are you loving others the way you should? Are you serving Him and living for Him the way that He's asked you to do so? So this morning, this altar is going to be open if you want to come. Maybe God has laid something on your heart to pray about. I'll be down at the front if you want to talk to me or pray with me. Or maybe you need to make a decision about joining our church as a member. Maybe you've received Christ, but you haven't followed Him in baptism. We would love to show you how you could follow him in baptism and as we stand and sing jesus paid it all think about the price that jesus paid for you let's stand